0: Welcome to another episode of the Bucket Ranch Show. We got so much in store today. We actually have some breaking news for this episode. We have Nikola Jokic winning the NBA MVP, so we're gonna dive into that. Dive into a lot of things around the hoops world. We got some intense series in both the Western and Eastern Conference. We're gonna start off talking about the NBA playoffs, and I'll make my way to the breaking news and Nikola Jokic winning the MVP in the second half of the show. We'll talk about some other awards that were announced within the past week, but we got to start with these NBA playoffs because we saw two great games yesterday, two great games on Saturday, and we have some very tied up series here in the Western and Eastern Conference. We're going to start with talking about the Eastern Conference, the Sixers versus the Miami Heat, and this is now a 2-2 series, guys, and... We were really looking like Miami was just going to take this series over. And we looked at Jimmy Butler. We looked at the way he was hooping, the way he was balling out, the way Miami had held serve on their home floor. And they won both games. Then you look at the Philadelphia 76ers. They get Joel Embiid back. We did not expect Joel Embiid to come back this early in the series. He was playing with a mask the first game. He started off really trying to give everything for his team, but it didn't look like he was fully healthy. But even that impact was good enough for the Sixers to win that game. And then he follows it up with an even better performance in game four, gets some serious big-time help from James Harden in game four, and they're able to knot up the series at two apiece. So now the Sixers are looking at it, and they have a 2-0 record in this series with Joel Embiid healthy. And that means a lot when we're talking about the landscape of this series because Joel Embiid we're expecting him to play moving forward for the rest of the series so if you're able to win basketball games in this series with Joel Embiid to pair with a James Harden as opposed to having James Harden try to do it as the lone star trying to figure out Tyrese Maxey I believe Maxey's a star as well and a rising one at that but not to the degree of superstar status that a Joel Embiid is and what he brings to the table on both ends of the floor so you look at it from that perspective. We have a completely different series. And when I originally picked this series, when I made my playoff bracket before we even knew that this was going to be the matchup, I said the Sixers would win this series in six games. And I said that assuming that Joel and B was going to be healthy the whole time. However, when the injury stuff happened and B was out, I'm looking at it as Miami should win this series in five games. This should be a relatively quick and easy series for the Heat because the superstar, the MVP candidate, the scoring champ this year, is not in the lineup. And it's just clearly a night and day difference between when Embiid is in the lineup and when he's not in the lineup. And not just how he plays individually, but how he galvanizes the troops of everyone around him, how he elevates the play of the entire unit on both ends of the floor as the rim protector, as the anchor of the defense. And offensively, they run a lot of action through Joel Embiid in the post. James Harden is able to feed him for a lot of assists and it gets him going. It gets everybody on the team going. It gets the shooters more open looks like everything's just completely different. We're seeing the way Danny Green is shooting the ball since Joel Embiid got back. He was one for 10 in a game without Joel Embiid. Then he comes back and he's nailing threes left and right. He only missed, I believe, one three in one of his most recent games. So, Night and day difference. James Harden had his by far his best game of the postseason in the most recent game, Game 4, 31 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists. He shot 6 of 10 from 3-point range. He was hitting those usual step-back 3s that we're accustomed to seeing, and he was getting to the free throw line, knocking down 9 out of 10 free throws. Still a high turnover count, but overall, definitely the type of game you love to see from James Harden, and you don't need James Harden to drop 30 points. A nightly basis anymore. That's not who he is as a player. That's not who the Sixers need him to be. They need him to be somewhere in that 22 to 25 point per game range, and they need him to give you nearly double digit assists. That's what we're expecting out of James Harden. He hasn't been able to deliver that, excuse me, so far, Um, but hopefully he can at a higher level moving forward. Tobias Harris has been solid in his role. Definitely his scoring production has taken a hit since Embiid's gotten back, but He's allowed to be even more efficient in his offense as well. Tyrese Maxey providing some clutch buckets, some big-time shots, and, and he's continuing to excel as a star in these playoffs. And then you look down the line, Matisse Dibble's been more active defensively. He's been able to get some more minutes and impact the game that way, and the Sixers are really clicking on all cylinders. Obviously, it's not going to be smooth sailing and just perfect for the rest of the postseason But now you have a recipe. You have a blueprint. The Sixers went up 3-0 on the Toronto Raptors. They can't let their foot off the gas pedal in this series just because they've made it a 2-2 series now, just because they're riding all the momentum on their side. They got to lock in. They got to focus. They got to get this Game 5 in Miami. They have to win that game if they want to win this series. And then if they do that, they come back home. And in Game 6... Is basically wraps. You're at home. You're gonna take care of it. You're gonna take care of it at home. Joel and B can't let you lose that game, you know. So that's gonna be key. Pivotal game in this series, Game Five. From the Miami side of things, you had Kyle Lowry also come back when Joel and B came back. Kyle Lowry was dealing with a hamstring injury, and he has just not looked like the same player. He's talked about it in post game. It hurts for him to move and play. He said no one would really want to play on this type of injury. I understand it. He's in tremendous pain. But more so, the Miami Heat team is in pain having to deal with Joel Embiid because he is making their life a lot more difficult on the offensive end of the floor. A lot of the easy looks that Bam Adebayo was able to get at the rim and that the Heat team as a whole were able to get at the basket because DeAndre Jordan was starting playoff games when he should not be at all. He should be nowhere near a basketball court in the NBA playoffs, but he was starting playoff games for the Sixers. When you go from having DeAndre Jordan, who shouldn't even be an NBA rotational player, to Joel Embiid, one of the best centers in the NBA and an MVP candidate, it's a pretty significant jump, you know? So Miami's having to adjust to that. And basically, it's messing with their entire offense. They're shooting some threes, and they're just not knocking them down at a consistent rate. They've shot putrid from deep uh, in these past two games. They shot 25%, 7 out of 35, from downtown in Game 4. 25% is definitely not anywhere near going to cut it. And they shot even worse in Game 3, 23% from 3, 7 out of 30. So just terrible shooting from the Heat side of things. And you definitely expect that to pick up on the home floor. You know, shots tend to fall from role players more on their home floor. And we've seen that over the course of these playoffs. A lot of teams are getting wins on their home floor, but it's not as simple as Miami shoots better. They win the game. You know, there's a lot of other things schematically that they're going to have to do to figure out how to handle Joel Embiid on both ends of the floor and get some more support for Jimmy Butler because as I've said numerous times, I've been pretty critical of Jimmy Butler, at least on the offensive end of the floor this season, and he has taken it to a completely different level. He has shown up and shown out in these playoffs he stepped his game up to a level that I was not expecting anywhere near this type of production. He gave you 33 points and nine rebounds in game three. And the team as a whole only scored 79 points. Like that, that's just unacceptable. That's not going to cut it. But Jimmy Butler's giving you efficient 33 in that game. And he comes back and turns around and gives you 40 points in 42 minutes on 65% shooting in game four. And you still lose that game by almost double digits. So, Miami's they got to figure it out do some self-reflection Tyler Hero I was saying that he was a guy that they're very reliant on for offense and for buckets and he has not shown up in these past couple games and has really hurt their team success obviously you can't expect much from Kyle Lowry right now with his hamstring injury but if you want to find a way to get some more shooting on the floor knock down your perimeter shots although Victor Oladipo has played very well and he's providing Big time spark for you in the defensive side of the ball. You got to find some minutes for Duncan Robinson. He's been out of the rotation the past couple games, mainly probably due to defensive issues and the fact that the Miami Heat are an extremely deep team. But if you need that shooting on the floor, Duncan Robinson is still a high level spot up shooter. He can knock down threes. For you, And he can space the court out. Sometimes he's not going to be hitting, and that's fine. You can bench him if he's not making his shots, but at least the threat of him hitting perimeter shots and his ability to actually make the perimeter shots is definitely something the defense is going to have to worry about. So I think Spolster will probably adjust and maybe find some minutes for Duncan Robinson, and maybe he could help the Heat with some spark on offense, but in all actuality, there are a lot of things that the Miami Heat need to right this ship, you know? And it's a complete 180 because Joel Embiid is just that valuable to a basketball game, you know? So in a series as a whole. So we'll see what adjustments the Miami Heat make. Eric Spolstra is a great coach and he's definitely the better coach between him and Doc Rivers, especially at this stage. But they have a lot of work to be done because the Sixers are clicking on all cylinders right now. And it's a completely different series. And I'm very excited to see what the next steps are in this series game five basically whoever wins game five is going to win this series when we rank the most important games in a playoff series for me i'm saying game seven obviously winner go home for both teams game five is probably number two on that list okay because a lot of times it's a 2-2 series going to game five and whoever wins that game five Obviously, all they got to do next is win game six. And if you're going at home to play game six, it's very good odds you win that game six, you know. But even in a situation where it's a 3-1 series one way, that is a closeout game. So game fives are definitely very, very critical. And if you're trying to make that 3-1 lead comeback, game five can really give you some momentum heading into game six. Especially, like I said before, if you're going back home to play game six, you win game six. And you go in game seven and it's anyone's game at that point. So game five going to be key in a lot of these series um, but yeah, I'd probably say like really just look at it. It's usually the odd numbers that are the most important games. You got to get game seven, game five, game three. And obviously uh, I, I actually wouldn't say game one is that important to be honest, like Game one, you're kind of just feeling the team out. I mean, a lot of people could say it sets the tone for the course of the series, but you can lose game one, make some adjustments, be good for game two, and be set for the rest of the series. So I don't think game one is as important as people make it out to be. It's more of a fill-out type of game. When you get deeper into the series, the games start to matter more. The adjustments and how you're going to counter certain things matters more. So yeah, that's that's a little side tangent about about the series is there, but two two series... Uh, game 5 must win for both teams. I think whoever wins Game 5 more than likely is going to win the series in that one. We'll talk about another series that is now 2-2. We got the one seed Phoenix Suns and the 4C Dallas Mavericks. And Luka Doncic is finally getting some help. He's finally getting some support. I've been preaching that Luka Doncic is such a phenomenal talent, but you got to give this man some dang support. Like, you can't see... Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the other side, both chipping in, both giving you a lot of production, and there's no help for Luka. Like Jalen Brunson's not coming to the table and producing. Dory Finney-Smith is not hitting his open threes. Defensively, I do think Dallas is a really stout defensive team. They're one of the best defensive teams uh, in the NBA this season, and they've done a very good job lately on the Phoenix Suns, and in particular Chris Paul. But offensively you needed more punch, and Jalen Brunson has provided that punch for sure. And this past game, Dorian Finney Smith was knocking down a lot of threes, which was very key for them. He he's such an underrated player, like as a glue guy, role player that can step in, hit some shots, play some really good defense. And he he basically swung the tide of this game. Dorian Finney Smith had 24 points and eight rebounds. On 8-for-13 shooting, he hit 8 out of 12 from 3. Ridiculous type of production from a role player. Uh, Luka Doncic didn't even have his best shooting game this game. Uh, game 4, that would be. And Brunson chipped in 18 points, you know. But you had 6 guys in double figures for the Mavericks. So, you're getting a little bit sprinkled in from a bunch of different sources. And then for the... Phoenix Suns, you had Devin Booker go off and he, he was getting buckets out there, but very little support. You had Chris Paul had five points in 23 minutes and he fouled out far too prematurely in most of the game. He was playing with foul trouble. You can't have that for your second option. Another star alongside Devin Booker, who has actually been one of the guys I had on my MVP ladder either last week or a couple weeks ago in terms of the playoff MVP. You know, Chris Paul was in that conversation for what he did when Devin Booker went down and how he was bowing out. You can't have games where Chris Paul's only taking four shots and having five points. You know, you just can't have that, especially when you're not getting anywhere near a point guard level, starting point guard level production from Cameron Payne off the bench. You're not having Cam Johnson doing anything stellar. So you need more production from the others. the side of the Phoenix Suns in this game and I think they'll bounce back at home I think Chris Paul will not play that poorly again he'll watch out with his fouls a little bit more because Luka Doncic was telling Chris Paul man I learned all this flopping stuff from you and he was he was trying to sell the calls he was acting a little bit but Chris Paul you can't be mad at that of all people you like to bend the rules you like to flop you like to do that stuff so, there's no problem, no harm, no foul if Luca's doing it, right, Chris Paul? So, he's got to adjust to that. I think the Suns, at the end of the day, they are the better team. I do trust them. I trust that DeAndre Ayton will hopefully be more involved moving forward in this series. Mikkel Bridges has some games offensively where he can do more than he did. And then, obviously, Chris Paul. You know, he's not the player that we saw on the court uh, last night. So, I think the Suns got this series in the bag, but I will say for the Dallas side of things, Luka Doncic is balling out, and I would love to see him make a continued run because it has never been Luka Doncic's fault when his team so far has not made it out the first round before this year. Now they made it to the second round. We'll see if the run can keep going because every year Luka's continuing to do his thing. He actually briefly passed Michael Jordan, on the all-time playoff points per game list, he has since lost that title for some games where he wasn't dropping like 35 to 40, but Lucas' playoff averages are already ridiculous. They're historically insane. So, shout out to him, and we'll see what happens in that series, but I think the Suns will pull that one out. They could probably win the next two, probably, and finish it off in six games. We'll move to the games that are happening tonight. We have in the East, we have the Bucs taking on the Boston Celtics. Milwaukee is leading this series two games to one. And Giannis Antetokounmpo just had a masterpiece performance in Game 3. On his home floor, a game in which the Bucks only won by two points. This man, Giannis Antetokounmpo, put up 42 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. He shot over 50% from the field, 9 out of 12 from the free throw line. And he dominated this game on both ends of the floor. And a lot of Celtics fans were complaining about the officiating. Apparently he had a goal ten that should have been called. Uh, they thought he had some offensive fouls where he was running over people. People complained so much about the game being so soft, yet they act so soft on social media, talking about the plays, complaining about the officiating in every single game. Like, just enjoy the sport, man. Giannis is a dominant force. He's a dominant force inside, and if he runs you over, I mean, you just got to get in the weight room as a a player, you know, but Giannis being super physical in the paint, taking advantage of his matchup, being the most dominant force in the league, and I thought most of the time he was doing legal plays. Like, I I didn't think he was charging people too much. There may have been – you can always find one or two clips uh, of something not getting called correctly. But if you actually look at the last 2 minute report of that game, they said that there were some bad calls made for both sides down the stretch. And for most of the fourth quarter and overall for the game the Celtics in game four uh, game 3, excuse me, they shot a lot more free throws. I believe double the amount of free throws that the Bucks shot. So, I wouldn't really blame officiating for the way this game ended down the stretch. If you want anyone to blame, blame no other than Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum had 10 points on 4 for 19, shooting 0 of 6 from 3, and he put up what we call tour dates, you know? Like, you're not trying to see 4 for 19 unless you go into a concert, you know? Like, that's the date of the concert. Okay, but 10 points on 4 for 19 from your superstar, from a guy that we just saw outplay Kevin Durant head-to-head, is just not good enough. Simply, Jason Tatum, you got to be better. And defensively, he continues to be phenomenal. And I do think he will bounce back, but that's just not the type of performance that you like to see if you're a Boston Celtics fan. And you had a phenomenal game from Al Horford, 22 points, 16 rebounds, five assists, and two blocks. And then Jalen Brown chipped in 27 and 12 boards. You guys were on Jalen Brown's head when he was underperforming. So we got to keep that same energy for Tatum. He'll bounce back. He'll be all right. But... That's the story of the game. You want anyone to blame Boston Celtics fans, blame Jason Tatum for that type of performance. And the fact that the Celtics only lost by two in a game where Jason Tatum played that poorly is a positive sign. However, from the Bucs side of things, you had a game in which Drew Holiday shot just 11 out of 30 from the field. You had a game in which Grayson Allen scored zero points. This is a guy you can count on to knock down perimeter shots usually and make some sort of impact on the floor. And he was a minus eight with zero points, you know, and you don't even have your second best player, arguably, in Chris Middleton, a guy that was closing games for you in the finals to win a championship last year. So if he somehow comes back in this series, the Bucs definitely have the upper hand. So both teams got to feel good about where they are right now. Boston has a chance to right their wrongs from game three in game four, even up to series two, two, going back to Boston. And for the Bucks, if you put a stamp on this series, you go three one, and and Giannis does what he needs to do with another masterpiece performance, you're sitting really really pretty if you're the Bucks because you can give Middleton some extra rest and potentially wrap up this series relatively quickly. You know, because I don't see a scenario in which Giannis onto the Kumpo is blowing a three one lead. That's not happening. Like he's he's not built like that. And if that comes back to age poorly, you know, it, it can, you know, it is what it is, but I, I'm not seeing it from Giannis. He doesn't seem like the type of guy that's going to sell and blow it through one lead. So I think the Bucks got to take care of business, you know, and if they don't, it's going to become another three game series, in which game five is very, very pivotal. Moving over to the Western Conference for the 2-1 series that we have tonight, the local Golden State Warriors taking on the Memphis Grizzlies, and let's just say the Slaughterhouse was in full effect in Game 3. And I'm not just talking about the final score, but I will address the play on the court, and then we'll talk about some of these antics and uh, the dirty plays, quote-unquote, that that happened in this game. But the Warriors won this game by 30, 30, Steph Curry's number, 3-0, Slaughterhouse won by 30, and the Warriors in this game, they shot a ridiculous percentage all around, 63% from the field, 53% on threes, and 90.5% from the free throw line. They had 34 assists. This is a team that they they make plays for their teammates. They are a selfless club. They, they move the ball, and they have players that will move without the ball, and it leads to just beautiful offense, and they were just completely clicking on all cylinders. Simply put, you're not beating the Golden State Warriors if they shoot like this. This is historic level shooting, you know, and and no team could really replicate this, I wouldn't say, or at least if they do, once in a blue moon. And that's why you win by 30. And when you look at the Splash Bros, and as the NBA on TNT graphic a couple days ago said, the Splash Bros and the swimming pool, talking about Jordan Poole, they combined for 78 points on 59% shooting and hit nine threes. So you're saying three players combined for 78 points. <laughs> like, absurd stuff. It, it's really absurd stuff. And there's no way the Grizzlies, or like I said before, any team in the NBA is going to beat that. So if you're the Grizzlies, you just got to chalk it up, you know, and try to move and see how you can adjust in game in game four. However, some ridiculously hot shooting at the beginning of the game for the Memphis Grizzlies side of things. John Morant was hitting threes from the logo. Jaron Jackson Jr. too. Like they came out firing, but eventually they cooled down and the Golden State Warriors heated up. And that was about all she wrote, you know, so we'll see about the adjustments, but now getting into some of the antics and the extracurriculars of the game, Jordan Poole was seen kind of tugging at John Morant's knee and apparently injured John Morant. They don't know if it's specifically that play in which John Morant got injured. I'm not gonna be an outside speculator on what play it was that John Morant got injured. I'm not a doctor. I don't know, ask John Morant how he felt or when he felt like he got injured. That's not up for me to decide, but people on social media were saying that Jordan Poole was a dirty player. He made a dirty play. Objectively watching the game, it looked like the play that Dylan Brooks made was a heck of a lot more dirty than than anything that Jordan Poole tried to do. In my opinion, I believe Jordan Poole was diving for the ball. I think he was trying to make a hustle play. Uh, it wasn't really a, a necessary thing to do, and it didn't. the optics of it don't look great. But I really don't think Jordan Poole was trying to intentionally injure John Morant. What does he have to gain from that? Respectfully, the Golden State Warriors are a better basketball team than the Memphis Grizzlies. Just plain and simple they should not be worried about whether or not john moran is out there although he's a phenomenal player although he's dropped, saw him drop like 40 something in a game and, and he's been the best player on the floor in this series production wise but him alone and, and the group that the grizzlies have like and maybe this is just how high i am on the golden state warriors man and it's going to be a good series or it would have been before his injury but I still think Golden State would be fine. I don't think they needed to get that type of advantage where they're out here injuring somebody, you know? And for the Dylan Brooks play, like, was he? I don't think he was necessarily intentional in his play either, but the area in which he hit him and the force in which he used in transition, that, it ended up being a dirty play. And he got a suspension. He was suspended for the game three. He couldn't play. Rifle right resold. I don't think Jordan Poole deserved a suspension, but definitely Dylan Brooks did. And so the Grizzlies will get Dylan Brooks back for game four, but they won't likely have John Morant. Because they're saying John Morant's probably out with his knee injury, which sucks. To me, this was the most entertaining and competitive series of the four. But now it's not as much, you know, because there's no John Morant in the picture, at least for the short term. That definitely does put a stain on it a little bit. But regardless, I think the Golden State Warriors would probably have won this series, most likely overwhelming. Like, I'd say i give the Grizzlies like a 10 to 15% chance of winning this series if they had John Moran healthy the whole time, you know? But according to a lot of people on social, the Grizzlies are better without John Moran. That's what people said. They also said the Grizzlies are better without Dylan Brooks. So, I mean, I don't know personally how you're better without two of your top three, four, or five players. You know, but but that's what people are saying. You look at the record, they they've had a phenomenal win percentage without John Morant during the regular season. The playoffs are very different game, very different story. But those are some things for Grizzlies fans. If you want to be optimistic, that's that's what you can look towards. Um so I don't know. But I'm thinking this series is completely over now. The Warriors are gonna win game three or game four, excuse me. I believe they're going to go up 3-1. They're going to go back to Memphis. Depending on whether or not Memphis is healthy, Memphis could probably win game five, maybe, at home. But worst case scenario for the Warriors, I believe they probably come back home to to chase and and finish it off in game six. I originally had Warriors in seven, but with the John Morant injury thing, I'm going to say Warriors in six. And the Warriors will advance to the next round. So, Really getting into the later stages of the second round series is getting really intense and setting up for a really good conference finals. Any of the teams we see in these conference finals is probably going to end up making for some great basketball. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and that's basically what I have to say about the NBA playoffs right now. We could touch on some awards really quickly. And I'll, I'll go on my little rant about the MVP. Because the breaking news that I said to start the show is Nikola Jokic is your 2021-2022 NBA MVP. He's a back-to-back MVP. And there are some very conflicting opinions on this MVP. And for some context, Nikola Jokic is joining some elite company in terms of centers with multiple MVPs you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar you got Bill Russell you got Will Chamberlain you got Moses Malone and now you got Nikola Jokic and you're talking about a guy that was the 45th or excuse me the 41st pick 41st pick second round draft pick in the 2014 draft that's probably the greatest draft pick of all time we haven't seen a second round a second round pick do this type of stuff crazy and a lot of his argument Jokic is the advanced stats the advanced analytics I'm not that big of a fan of those but he has some very very high level counting stats he averaged 27 points per game about 14 rebounds and 8 assists like that's that's very good counting stats he was also the first player in the last 50 years to finish top 10 in points per game rebounds per game assists per game, and field goal percentage. Very impressive. And he led the Nuggets in basically every statistic, points, rebounds, assists. Like, and and he had an even improved year on the defensive side of the ball. So I have no shade or beef against Nikola Jokic. He's phenomenal. If you heard those numbers, and then you add on the fact that he was without Michael Porter Jr., his third best player, and Jamal Murray, his second best player, both of these guys on max contracts, you have two max contracts out of the lineup, that matters. I mean, that's important. I mean, I think people are overblowing that a little bit. We'll get into it a little bit later in terms of saying that that alone makes him the MVP. But these are all arguments that are definitely valid. These are all things that Nicole Jokic accomplished. You know, and he should be celebrated for that. And back-to-back MVP, I'm not going to say he didn't deserve it because he does. And anyone in the top three in terms of finalists this year, particularly because the award was very, very close, in my opinion, deserves the MVP. But to me, to me personally, and I've said this before on previous episodes, Giannis was my number one pick for MVP. Joel Embiid was my number two pick for MVP. Those are the guys, along with LeBron, who ended up not qualifying because of the amount of games he was not able to play. Those are the two guys, though, Giannis and and Bede, that finished top two in terms of the scoring race and scoring title race. And points per game is a very, very important stat. And it's not the only stat that these guys are elite at. But these are the top two scorers per game in the NBA this year that qualified. And they're also giving you double-digit rebounds. They also can give you four or five assists in the case of Embiid, more like six, seven in the case of Giannis. And they are both much better defenders than Nicole Jokic, particularly Giannis Kupo, who's doing it at an all-defensive team caliber level. So when you factor that into the equation, they score more than Jokic. They're all grabbing boards. Jokic is grabbing a little bit more rebounds, but they're all grabbing rebounds at a high level. I'm not going to compare any of these two guys as passers to Jokic, but playmaking-wise, Giannis is a border. I'm going to say, probably an elite playmaker in this league right now. His decision-making is much improved. He can make a lot of different types of passes. He draws so much attention. His gravity, his rim pressure that he puts on the defense, is significant. So when you factor all those things in, Giannis has a pretty great case for being the MVP. That's why he's my MVP. Then you factor in that he has the highest winning percentage of the three. It seems like Giannis has the most convincing case, but then we go to the argument of, oh, he didn't have Michael Porter Jr. He didn't have Jamal Murray. Well, Giannis missed a chunk of the season. Drew Holiday, his third best player, arguably, maybe his second best player, missed a chunk of the season. Chris Middleton missed a chunk of the season. Brooke Lopez missed most of the season. We see how different Milwaukee's defense is with Brooke Lopez in the lineup as a rim protector. Like, these are guys that definitely missed big chunks of the season for the Bucs, and the Bucs still finished top three in their conference. The Eastern Conference, which at the top, I mean, it was very competitive at the top. Obviously, the West, the top teams of the West had more wins, but a completely competitive Eastern Conference, in which even the lower teams were that were fighting to make it into the playoffs or fighting for seed position, they they all had above five hundred records, which couldn't be said about the Western Conference. So that's what Giannis Antetokounmpo did this season. Joel Embiid this season was a scoring champ. And he had to deal with a team that Ben Simmons, a Max player, decided to sit out and basically hold the Philadelphia 76ers hostage for half the season because he didn't want to play. Because he was scared about the fan reaction or he had some mental health issues going on. And just the Sixers as a whole treated him poorly. They treated him terribly, in his eyes at least in terms of bashing him in the media. Clearly, the Sixers didn't want him there. I don't blame Ben Simmons at all. I mean, the Sixers didn't want you, don't show up to work. I wouldn't want to be in that toxic work environment. I get it, Ben Simmons. But at the end of the day, the Sixers had basketball to deal with. They had to try to find a way to make a winning product on the basketball court, and Joel Embiid was the biggest part in that. And he gave them a chance to legitimately compete for a championship to be a legitimate contender despite that. They had Tyrese Maxey, who should have been top three and most improved. This guy switched positions to play point guard because Ben Simmons was out. He didn't even have a point guard before, so they're having a combo type of guy play point guard. Did a great job. Shout out to Maxey. But you're also filling the void of having a max contract on your roster for half the season, yet people are talking about, oh, Joel Embiid has all this help. Nikola Jokic had, like, no help compared to Embiid. But literally, the Sixers also, like most teams with an MVP caliber player, fall off the face of the earth and struggle to compete and win games when Joel Embiid's not in the lineup. I mean, we saw that in this playoff series with the Miami Heat. The Heat were up 2-0. We just talked about this. The Heat were up 2-0 with, with Jimmy Butler and, and company playing against a, a Sixers team that was starting DeAndre Jordan at center because Embiid was out. And then we we see Embiid come back, and now it's a completely different series. The Sixers 2-0. Like, <laughs> pretty glaring. It, it, that applies throughout the whole regular season. The way the team performed without Joel Embiid in the lineup all of these guys are extremely impactful to their team's success. The teams are constructed in a way that if you take a max player out or someone's missing time or you take the best player on each of these teams out the, out the team, the team's a lot worse. The team's a lot worse. Simple as that. And Joel Embiid, out of these three, he has the second highest winning percentage. So you're talking about the guy with the most points per game. The high, second highest winning percentage, defense. Like, Joel Embiid had a great case for the MVP. So to me, those guys just had more complete cases than Nikola Jokic, and they're winning in terms of their seating. We usually reward winning, right? Nikola Jokic, a big reason why Nikola Jokic won the MVP last year, is because of his team's success. Granted, at least. Nicole Jokic's team was able to make the playoffs, but they were still a very low seed, right? We, we can all agree that they were the three seed in the Western Conference. Or excuse me, the six seed. I don't know if I said three. <laughs> they played the three seed. They were the six seed in the Western Conference. So Curry would have won the MVP last year if the Warriors actually made the playoffs. And they were the eighth seed by the time the voting was was finalized and Curry went off scoring champ and did a lot of great things last year too. But I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm very curious to see what people think about this. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying Jokic got robbed or, or robbed Embiid or robbed Giannis or he didn't deserve it and he's the worst MVP. He says, no, I think Nicole Jokic is the best center in the league. I actually believe as an actual basketball player, Nikola Jokic is better than Joel Embiid. That's what I believe. But Joel Embiid had the better year, in my opinion. You know, so that's, that's just my thoughts. You know, I, I like winning. I like, I like buckets, you know, bucket rants. I like versatility in the game. Joel Embiid, the highest shooting percentage from three out of these guys. Shooting like 38% from three center, seven feet tall, like crazy stuff, crazy stuff, man, so, I don't know, it's interesting, it's interesting to think about, talk about, but we find out the Joker's the MVP, shots him, much deserved, all those top three guys deserve a lot of love, they all should make first team all NBA, if they rob Joel Embiid of first team all NBA too, now that's gonna be crazy, that's gonna be crazy, and I believe they will, I believe they're gonna have some thing like Jason Tatum in there with, with Giannis and, and Jokic. That's what I believe they'll probably do. But <laughs> I feel bad for Embiid, but at least he's got the scoring title. At the end of the day, they'll be good. Joella Embiid and Giannis are still in the playoffs. Jokic is not, despite him balling out. We can't blame Jokic for the team not still being in the playoffs because he did his thing, but Embiid and Giannis are still in the playoffs. and Embiid won the scoring title. Giannis got the NBA title and a finals MVP. He'll be high. He'll be high. <laughs> and they all got millions upon millions of dollars. So it's hard to feel too bad for him. But, but yeah, those are my thoughts. I think Giannis and Bede both more deserving of MVP than, than Jokic. But running down the rest of the lineup in terms of the awards, we had John ja Morant win most approved. Another one that I think is kind of up in the air, because he like he improved significantly. Don't get me wrong, but there were definitely guys to me that took bigger jumps, you know. But but John Morant took a very important jump. He went from a star to a superstar. You know that's a, that's a key. That's probably the hardest jump to make in the NBA, going from a star to a superstar. Because you really got to get yourself amongst the elite of the elite. He's probably going to make an all-NBA team. He made his first all-star team. And at times of the season, he put him in the MVP conversation. He led the NBA in paint points. He led the Grizzlies to the second best record in the league. He deserves credit for the type of year that he had, no doubt. When we talk about most improved, I throw a guy like Tyrese Maxey in the conversation. I throw Jordan Poole in the conversation. And then DeJounte Murray, who also made his first all-star game, led the league in steals. And he averaged nearly triple-double numbers a lot of times. A lot of nights he was out there getting the triple-double. He was a fantasy monster this year, and he led the Spurs to the play-in tournament. So, and, and that's a guy who, before this year, like, DeJounte was not really on most people's radars that much. Like, he was a cool little, he was a cool, solid player, but... He was on no radar for anywhere near an all-star team. People weren't even throwing him in star conversation. He wasn't in the conversation for, let's say, top 10 point guard in the NBA, top 15, maybe. Like, He definitely shot up the ranks. So that's interesting in terms of most improved. And then sixth man of the year, you had Tyler Hero. And that was obvious. Like, duh, Tyler Hero's going to win it. Um, Hero basically it was the first option for a lot of the year for the Miami Heat offensively he was getting buckets off the bench shooting it from 3 just very solid all around game improving as a playmaker hero deserves that no questions asked no debate about that so that's my thoughts on the awards and we got the playoff stuff we got obviously tonight we got the Celtics and the Bucks we got the Warriors and the Grizzlies I'm really looking forward to see how things are shaking out in the NBA. I appreciate y'all for rocking with us. I'm out to the next episode. Or actually, this will probably be the last, one of the last episodes. So I appreciate you guys for uh for staying tuned. I'll probably do some stuff uh on my own, my own podcast, you know, Bucket's Mentality Podcast. Definitely do some more stuff on there. But uh appreciate you guys. I'm out. Peace.